You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Steve. As a teenager, um, I was a rather good kid. I mean, I say that in the fact that, you know, I didn't steal any cars or anything of that nature, but I wasn't good necessarily either. Um, I, I did what we would kind of think of today as minor issues. One of the biggest problems that I had as a teenager and my parents had with me was homework. I hated to do homework. Um, I found it unnecessary. I usually did really well on tests. And so I felt like, well, if I do good on tests, why do I have to do all this extra practice and homework, right? And so, invariably, every time I got a, a report card, it would say something on it like, needs to do homework, right? Or doesn't do homework, um, could, get a be- could have a better average if his homework was turned in. And so normally when I would get it, when a report card would come home, my parents were a little different than some parents. I don't know about all your parents, but some parents just looked at the grades and went, oh yeah, you look pretty good. You got all B's or A's. My parents would look at the report card and go, oh, a B's and A's, but they said you're not trying hard enough. Like they looked at the comments more than the grades. Um, and they were like, even if it said C, but it said you're trying your hardest, we'd be happy. But it says A or B, but it says you're not doing your homework and you're not... You, you're not living up to your potential, that was a major issue, right? So normally I ended up with my parents having a long talk about why are you doing this? Why aren't you doing your homework? You know, do we have to take away some of your after-school activities so you have enough time to do your homework, right? And each time I would say, oh, no, no, you're right. Uh, I've seen the light, you know, I'm going, <laughs> it's, you, it finally sunk into me and I definitely will do my homework. What do you think happened the next time I got a report card? I would be lying if I said it said all my homework was done and I changed, right? Because I, in my heart and in my mind, I had convinced myself, like, I got this. Like, I don't need this. My grades are fine. This is just a waste of my time. I don't have to do this, right? So even though I was saying I'm sorry, and even though I was saying, yeah, I I understand, I see your point, I really wasn't repentant, and that's kind of a word that we're going to focus on today a little bit as we go through 1 Samuel, right? I wasn't repentant because repentance is like a deep down sorrow or grief, and that's only part of it. It's a deep down sorrow and grief that results in a change. If I were really sorry, I would have started doing my homework, right? You would have seen that change in me. The next time my report card came out, it would have said, you know, Stephen has a 98 average because all of a sudden he started doing his homework. And then my parents would have gone, all right, he gets it, right? He really was sorry and he really did understand the problem because he changed his behavior. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case. Um, It wasn't late until much later when I got out of the military and went back to college as an adult that I actually understood that you have to do your assignments whether you agree with them or not and that that's how your grades are handled and that usually there's a reason for that, right? Usually there's a skill or something that the teacher wants you to review and to kind of sink into your head. Um, Really, God had like the perfect plan in mind because then I became a teacher and for over a decade had to deal with students who want to do their homework, Right. And so at the end, the, the laugh was really on me. But um, and then had to hear students say, well, I don't need it. I, and I'm like, oh, you know, what do I say here? I, I've been in your shoes. Um, but 
that was kind of the issue here, was I really didn't repent. I said I was sorry, but really saying I was sorry was just to kind of get my parents off my back. It was because I didn't want to have that conversation anymore, and I wanted to continue doing whatever I wanted to do. I just didn't want to be in trouble. I didn't actually change my heart. I didn't change my direction or my behavior. And so it would be, it would be incorrect to say I was repentant. And I, say, I bring this up just so we can look at it a little bit as we get into 1 Samuel chapter 7 today. So let me read from 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 3 through 16 today. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you're returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Remember, Israel had been at war with the Philistines now for a number of years, right? They've been at war with the Philistines, and just recently, remember, the Philistines had taken the ark. Sean talked about that last, last week, right? And it was only because the ark destroyed the statues of their gods and brought plague on them and things of that nature. That's the only reason they gave it back. They were basically like, this thing is powerful, your God is more powerful than our gods, and we're unhealthy. This thing's given us boils and stuff. We don't want it. And they basically pushed it back towards the Israelites. Right? But they hadn't really won. And so now they're still seeking God. And Samuel says, listen, if you're looking to return to God, there's a few things you have to do. And he says, first off, you need to pour, put away your gods and the Ashtaroth from among you. Ashtaroth was a Canaan um, and Phoenician goddess. Ashtaroth was a goddess of fertility and of the harvest. And he says, you need to get rid of that. Serve only God. So the people of Israel put away the Baals, which was another god. You've heard Baal before. Baal was the god of the storm. Um, so he says, put away Baals and your Ashtaroth, and they serve the Lord only. Then Samuel said, gather all of Israel in Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day. And they said there, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. Now when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered in Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as the whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel. And the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines, and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, and struck them as far below as Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen, and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. 
The cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel, from Ekron to Goth, and Israel delivered their territories from the hand of the Philistines. There was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life, and he went on a circuit year by year to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah, and he judged Israel in all these places. Then he would return to Ramah, for his home was there, and there also he judged Israel, and he built there an altar to the Lord. So in this, we see Samuel's calling the people of Israel to repentance. He's saying, you want to come back to God, you want God's favor, you're looking for God's help, you need to repent. And he kind of lays out a process that actually works well as a model even for us today. We hear the word repentance a lot, but we don't really dive deep into what that means, right? And so the first step that he lays out for the people of Israel, he says, set aside your idols. In the verses here, he says, Set aside your Baal and your Ashtaroth. Those were the major opposing gods, the major other idols that were going on in this area. It had been going on, Baals and Ashtaroth had been a thorn in the side of Israel since the time of Joshua. And so the problem was, is all the people who didn't know God, the Philistines, Amorites, Canaanites, all these other people, they didn't know God, so basically they worshipped whatever they saw. Right? They were a people of agriculture, so the harvest was super important, because if the harvest wasn't good, they didn't eat. So they made themselves a little god, Ashtaroth, of the harvest, of fertility. And that was important to them, and they worshipped that, that goddess. Um, thunderstorms and major storms, dust storms, all these kind of things could be a major problem and could be something that would cause fear. If you don't live in an actual steel cement building or a nicely built house like we do today and you see a major storm coming, you're afraid. And so another thing they worshipped was Baal because he was the god of the storm. So it was the things they needed and the things they feared. And the problem was the people of Israel started doing the same thing. They started to forget their love for the Lord and what the Lord had done for them. And they started just basically letting the surrounding culture and society impact them. So they started also worshiping the Baal and Ashtaroth. And Samuel says, what are you doing? The first thing you need to do is if you want God in your life, you need to get rid of this other garbage. Right? You need to get rid of Baal and Ashtaroth and these statues you've got and the fact that you're... you're Worshipping the same, the same things that the people around you who don't know God are worshipping. True repentance means your, your actions should follow your words. right? And he's saying if your words are you want to worship God, then that's what your actions should show. You need to get rid of this other nonsense. If we're truly repentant, the first step is to get rid of these things. Just saying sorry doesn't cut it. And that's what Israel was like, we're sorry... God needs to help us now. And he's like, well, we, we, you need to do more than just say you're sorry. The first commandment started off, right, with it back at Sinai was, have no other gods but me. And they'd broken that already. The problem is, is there's no compromise in that for God. 
When God says, have no other gods but me, he doesn't say, but you can have a few other things on the shelf. Right? It's okay to have me, but if you want to do, no, have no other gods but me. There's no compromise there. So the first step is you need to clear, you need to clean the house. And that's what Samuel is saying here to the people of Israel. This is not a new message, and the people of Israel should have known this. Right before Samuel, Joshua had said, put away forever the, the idols of your ancestors. Right? Choose today whom you're going to serve. They had learned this during Joshua's time. After Samuel, they would, God would continue to try to send this message to the people. The first step in repentance is getting rid of false idols, getting rid of the things that are holding you back, the sin in your life. Elijah, in 1 Kings, said to Israel, how much longer will you waver, bobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if God is Baal, or if Baal is God, then follow him. So what's he saying here? Even then, Elijah's telling the people of Israel, listen, you can't have two opinions. You can't sit on the fence. If you're going to be a people of God, then you follow God and nobody else. So what does that mean for us? What are our idols? Well, I, I would be... So I would be really surprised to hear that any of you have Baal or Ashtaroth hanging out at your house. Anybody have an idol, like a statue of Baal or Ashtaroth at your house? No? no. Maybe if you're a paleontologist or like an archaeologist or something. But um, that's not something that we worry about anymore. But are there things around us that are worshipped and prioritized above God that we allow to become a priority for us. Just like the people of Israel were allowing the people who didn't know God around them to impact them, we still do this. right? What are our, our idols? Money and material things. That's a major idol. right? If we're putting money and material things above God, that's an idol. You're still worshiping something. You're putting your priority, your love... Um, the, the focus of your life somewhere besides God. Jobs and status are also an idol for us today. Right? If your job is more important than your relationship with God, that's a problem. That's a red flag. You have Baal in your life. You have an astronaut. Just because it's not a statue on your mantle doesn't mean that it's not something that's taking the place of that relationship with God. Entertainment can be an idol. Netflix, the theater, sports. All right, I am those people who know me. I'm an NFL fan. I'm a Vikings fan. I shouldn't say that right now, but I am a Vikings fan, right? And I have been for over 25 years. Um, I coached baseball in high school. I love baseball as well, right? But if my fan, if on Sunday I was like, I can't go to church because I have to watch the game. I've made a choice. I'm not on the fence anymore, but I fell off on the wrong side. That doesn't mean that occasionally you can't go to a football game, right? But if that's the priority in my life, 
if that's all my efforts go to, if I spend the whole week thinking about football and baseball and stats and putting that, you know, putting that on my wall or my computer, and that's all I focus on, and then Sunday I can't run in here for an hour, listen to the sermon, and then run out so I can go back to my to, to looking at sports, that's an idol. That's taking the priority in our in my life over God. And that's an issue. Identity is another idol. We've largely abandoned who we are in Christ. And we've placed our identity in other things. Whether it be social media, our position at work, our abilities, our achievements. All these things, if that's, if that's what's most important to us, is look at all the things I've done. Look at all my trophies. Or look at, I've got 72,000 followers on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, or Instagram. If that's what's the most important thing to me, and I'm thinking about it all the time, and I'm trying to think about the next picture I could take with my cat to get likes, right? That is not putting God first. And again, if it's your hobby, that's fine. But it shouldn't be the first priority in your life. It shouldn't be everything you're stressing out or thinking about. You should be stressing out about how your relationship is with God. Because if God doesn't press the like button, you're in trouble. So to look at this, so to look at the story here of first Sam, in First Samuel seven, and to say, oh well, that's an old that they talk about Baal and Ashtaroth and all. It's not really anything applicable to me. That's really wrong, because we fall into the same issue that the, the people of Israel did. If we want to repent and we want our relationship to be stronger with God, the first thing we need to do is get rid of all the, the, these false idols. We need to get rid of the stuff in our lives. Doesn't mean you can't watch sports. Doesn't mean you can't watch a movie, right? But it can't be the priority in your life. Seek God first. Then, if you have extra time and you have other things to do, you can still do things to relax. You can read, you can watch movies, you can play sports, any of that kind of stuff. But any time it takes the number one seat in your life, in your mind, then it means that God's not in that seat. And you can't be truly, truly repentant to God if he's not the person you're prioritizing. So Samuel goes on. He says, first you need to clean house and you need to get rid of all these other idols. He said, the second thing you need to do if you're really repentant and you're really sorry, is you need to seek God. Once you've got rid of the stuff that's not God, or put it in its rightful place, which might be third or fourth, now we need to seek God. Now we need to focus on God as the number one thing in our lives. It was just the beginning for Israel to put away their false gods. The Jews had to prepare their hearts for the Lord and devote themselves to the Lord alone. Right? Verse 6 that we just read says that, the, that Samuel gathered all of the people of Israel to Mizpah. Right? And once he was there, they poured out water to the Lord, they fasted, and then they confessed their sins. So once they got rid of Baal and Ashtoreth and all these statues and idols and problems in their life, the next thing they did was they focused on the Lord. They 
poured out, they sacrificed to the Lord, they fasted to the Lord, and then they confessed their sins. This is how I've messed up. Again, showing regret and sorrow, showing grief. That's the change of heart. That's where the heart kind of changes here. The, the people of Israel had to change their behavior, right? They needed to seek God. If it weren't enough just to destroy their idols, the people had to confess their sins and then surrender themselves to God. So they had to figure out, this is where I've been wrong, and now I need to start heading in the right direction. But I need to figure out where that is, so I need to seek God. To say I'm sorry, put away my false idols or the sin in my life, and then say, well, I'm going to change my behavior, but I'm going to decide that behavior. You're still not really there. right? We need to put away the sin in our life. We need to put away the idols in our life. And then we need to seek God to see where God wants us to head. How does God want us to behave? My example at the beginning, I told you about when I was in school and I didn't do my homework, right? What was my sin? If I'm repentant for that and I had to confess it, what was my sin? My sin was not not doing my homework. To be honest with you, that wasn't my major sin. That was the result of my sin. My real sin there was laziness and pride. That was where my heart was wrong. The fact that I did my homework just happened because I had that sin going on in my life. I was lazy. I didn't want to spend my time doing homework. And more so than that, I was prideful. The first thing I thought was, I know better than these teachers. If I'm good enough to do well on the test, why do I need to do this? Those teachers don't know what they're talking about. They spend a lot of money for no reason in school if I have to tell them what homework I can do. And so that's pride on my part, right? I was a 14, 15-year-old kid. I had no bigger picture concept of like what the end goals of the school year were what was going to be on the regents exam, the things the teachers were thinking about when they assigned this homework. But I had put my own goals and my own mind and my own wisdom above theirs, above God's even. I was saying in my mind, I'm saying, I'm the top dog here. And if I say I don't need to do homework, I don't need to do homework. That's what I needed to change. That's what I needed to confess to God was, God, I need you to change my heart there, because once that changed in my heart, I'm probably going to be more apt to listen to the teachers and to go, you know what, it doesn't matter if I don't understand why I'm doing the homework. The teacher said I should, and I should follow that. The teacher's the authority in the classroom. God's put the teacher there to show me the wisdom and the knowledge I'm supposed to know by the time I graduate high school, so I just need to do what I'm told. There's a bigger plan here that I can't see. And until I actually recognized that and confessed that, the homework situation wasn't going to change itself. Because again, it was just a symptom of the sin that was in my life. Right? The laziness part. I needed to say, listen, yeah, I might not feel like doing something, but I need to do stuff. Right? As human beings, we're not created by God to be idle and just sit. We're created to be in motion. We're created to be doing things. Right? And 
just sitting and wanting to watch TV or play video games all the time was not really doing anything, right? I would have been better off taking 20 or 30 minutes to do the homework. So I needed to get that mindset changed. And that's what, we, that's what Samuel's trying to tell the people of Israel here. You set aside your gods, but now you really need to confess. You need to dig in and say, hey, why, what was the reason in our heart that we were following these false gods? We knew about God. God saved our ancestors from Egypt. We've been taught about God since we were born. So what was going on inside our heart that we decided we needed to follow all this other stuff? And that's what we needed to confess. And that's what we need to do today when we're repenting and we're saying we're sorry, when we're praying to God and kind of giving that up to God, is we should really be saying, hey, something was wrong in my heart. Either I know what it is, and if I don't, God, point that out to me. What am I supposed to change in my heart and mind to get me right with you? Where do you want me to go? God has set aside ways to do that, right? Prayer, um, focusing on God, praying to God, listening to God. God's Word teaches us what God wants us to do and how we should act. So we should be following that, not social media. Right? The Holy Spirit, which is indwelt with us from the time that we become Christians and we commit ourselves and believe in Jesus Christ's sacrifice for us. The Holy Spirit points us in the direction and helps guide us as to how we should be acting and what God's will for us is. Right? So God kind of lays out, God gives us things to help us seek Him. But we need to do it. The third thing that Samuel lays out here at Mizpah, at Mizpah for the Israelites is you need to trust in God's plan. So first you need to put away your, all your false idols and your sin which sin tends to be idols as well for us. Then you need to seek God. And then you need to trust in God's plan. You need to know that God has a plan for you. And even if it, if it doesn't show itself right away, there is a bigger problem, and you, a bigger piece, and you need to trust in that. Because God knows what's best for you, even when we can't see it. After this time of repentance and seeking the Lord, God's response was not immediate. That would have been nice if the people confessed their sin and they poured out water and they fasted and all of a sudden the Philistines just dropped dead. But it didn't happen right away. Matter of fact, it says here in the Scripture, the Philistines heard that all the Jews had gotten together in one city. And the Philistines said, they're going to attack us. Like they're preparing for war. And so they moved against Israel. And it says the armies of the Philistines moved up against Israel. So to the Israelites, they had just confessed. They just fasted. They just seeked God in His wisdom. And now all of a sudden the Philistines are attacking. And they got scared and concerned. But this time at least they did the right thing. Instead of falling back on themselves and falling back on their own wisdom, and on what their own, their own thoughts might be, they went to Samuel and they said, Samuel, don't cease praying to God for us. Call on God, and, you know, intercede for, for us to God. Pray to God that He helps us here. Pray to God that He helps with this Philistine situation. 
They beat us horribly previously. They took our ark. Now they're coming against us again. We're sitting in a city trying to recon, we're trying to repent. We're trying to recommit ourselves to God. And the Philistines are attacking us again. This happens a lot in our own lives. Sometimes it's the time that we set aside and go, you know what? I've been a, I've been a mess. I've been wrong. I need to get right with God. Right? Maybe I've been lazy. Maybe I've been eating a ton of junk food. I need to get my life straight. And we set out a little plan on how to set our life straight. We pray. We seek God. We confess our sins. And the next we go, tomorrow's day one of my new life. And tomorrow the car breaks down. And we're like, I thought I was going to start my new life today. Now the car's broken down. Now I got all this stuff coming up against me. Well, heck with that. I got to, I mean, back to the drawing board, right? The, the, the Israelites didn't say that here. The Israelites said, well, when hardship came upon them, they didn't just give up and go, well, I guess that was the wrong way to go. They continued to seek God and they continued to pray to God. And they continued to trust in God's plan. So even though it didn't change right away, they continued to pray to God. Samuel interceded for them. And then God's plan played itself out. Right As the Philistines began to amass to attack, the people of Israel trusted in God. And as the Philistines came to attack, it says that God thundered down this huge storm. Thunder, lightning, this huge storm came down and confused the, the, the Philistines. Confused their army. It got them all messed up. There's a huge st storm pounding down on them. There's a few reasons here. right? First off, it's real hard to fight outside when it's pouring rain and thunder and lightning. You're trying to yell to your troops and you can't hear the, light, the, the, the skies flashing and lightning. But secondly, remember, one of the Philistines' biggest gods was Baal, who was supposed to be the god of the storm. And this is another place where the true God is showing he's bigger than that. When they tried to put the ark in their temples, their false gods were broken. And it showed them that the God of Israel was greater than their gods. Now the God of Israel is controlling the storm against them. Not Baal. Once again, their gods are nothing. And that kind of destroys you when you're like, hey, we're fighting for Philistine, we're fighting for our gods, and then all of a sudden, this thing that you think is going to help you turns against you. And these storms and thunder are all coming down on you. And it, it threw them off so much, it disheartened them so much, it confused them so much, that the armies of Israel overtook them. And Israel won. And not only did they win here, but they pushed the Philistines back. And it says they pushed the Philistines back and they basically regained all the land the Philistines had taken from them. Because they trusted in God's plan. And this was not something that God just came up with at the time Samuel prayed. This is a plan that God had put in motion at least decades before this. When Samuel was brought to Eli... As a child, if you remember back in Samuel chapter 2, when we started the book of 1 Samuel, Hannah brought Eli to 
or Hannah brought small Samuel to Eli to give him to the Lord. He was the, the child she prayed for when God granted her the child. She said, I'm going to commit him to God. So when he was little, she brought him to the temple. She brought him to Eli and said, I said I was going to give him to God. Here he is. And she prayed. And when Hannah prayed, part of her prayer in chapter 2 of 1 Samuel was, those who fight against the Lord will be shattered. His thunders against them from heaven. And now decades later, as Samuel and the people of Israel repent and recommit themselves to God and trust in God, God shatters the people of Philistines and thunders against them. God's always true to his plan. God's always true to us. We just have to have faith in that. And here, decades later, it shows that what was said back when Samuel was a little boy comes true. So, it's easy, as I mentioned before, to trust in God and to have faith when things are good. But in times that are tough, when temptation strikes us, when we're challenged, when we have hardships, when there's sickness, death, when we lose, when there's loss, there's grief, that's when we need to pray to God the most, just like the people of Israel did here. right? That's when we have to say, no, we're not going to do our own thing. We need to first pray to God. We need to seek God. We need to open his word, and we need to say, what does God want us to do here? Because there's a bigger plan that we can't see that God is going to be true to, but we need to seek him. So the last piece that we kind of see here in 1 Samuel is that repentance is ongoing. It says that Samuel, after this, Samuel set up a stone of monument called Ebenezer. He called it Ebenezer because Ebenezer means the stone of help. And this was the place God helped us. We finally overcame the Philistines, took back all our land. He saved us when the Philistines were going to come against us. So they set up this monument of stone called Ebenezer, the stone of help, where God helped us. It's important to remember what God does in our lives. To have a, a section of remembrance, right? We need to make sure that when God does things in our lives, when God shows himself to us in different ways, we remember those things and we honor them. Right? And so because then the next time there's tough times and hardship is there, we can remember and go, you know what? Last time things were tough, I made it through because I trusted in God. Things looked bleak, but God, I trusted in God's plan and it worked out. So it's important to remember those things and to honor those. Um, also for Samuel, he'd been a prophet. But from here on out, he also became a judge. It says, then Samuel began to judge Israel. Which means he became a leader. He became the nationally recognized leader of Israel. The chapter ends by telling us that Samuel made an annual circuit from city to city to pray for and judge the people. We're always going to be fighting the idols and the sin in our life. That's not something that's a one and done. And Samuel, and it shows that here in 1 Samuel, 
because Samuel sends up an annual circuit. He goes around Israel every year and judges them, right? Judging meaning reminding them of what they're doing wrong, pointing them to God, reminding them that they need to be repentant and committing themselves to God always, right? This is ongoing. They didn't repent this one time in Mizpah, and then Samuel went, you guys are good. And then he just went back to Ramah and retired, right? Every year he had to come back out and remind them because we're constantly undergoing that process. We constantly need to remind ourselves to cleanse our life of idols and sin, to recommit ourselves to God and to stay true, right? And to follow God and to wait on, to look for God's plan and to seek the Lord. So this became an annual process. The moment we think we have everything fixed in our life is probably the day that we need to reassess. Because if you think everything's fixed in your life, it means you're missing something. Right? We're never perfect. We will not be in this earthly body. Right? We are born into sin, unfortunately, because the world has fallen. So we're always going to struggle. We may become better at following God's word. We may grow closer to Jesus. We may be, become better at trying to emulate Jesus. But we're never going to be perfect. So we constantly have to make it an ongoing part of our lives to be reassessing the idols and the sin in our life. And then to be sorry, to be repentant, and to be changing those things toward what God wants for us. So... Samuel sets a great example here of repentance. Remember, he kind of set four points here. Turn from sin and idols. Seek the Lord. Trust in God and His plans. And repentance is an ongoing process. That's what it means when it says repent in the Bible. It's more than just I'm sorry. We really need to dig in and we really need to do that work. Repentance first happens for us when? Anybody know? As a Christian, repentance happens that first time you turn to Jesus. When, you, when it makes sense, when you hear the gospel, and you go, wait a second, Jesus died for my sin? I'm a terrible, horrible person in my heart. All right, I may not be a murderer, I may not be a thief, but in my heart, I've thought some terrible things about people. I've gotten angry. I've done things. I've, I've thought, in my heart, I am a terrible person, if not in my actions. And Jesus died for me. And the first time that you actually become really sorry, and you change, and your heart reorients itself towards Christ, the moment we're saved, that's the first time of repentance. First Samuel is about living faith and repentance is part of that. That living faith. How what faith looks like. What it means to put our trust in God. Mark chapter 1 verse 15 Jesus told told us the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That is salvation. Jesus says, repent. Be sorry for what you've done 
Be sorry for the sin in your life, the idols. Turn to God and follow the gospel. When you put your faith in that, that's salvation. Is there any? If there's anybody here today that hasn't done that, or is confused, or you're hearing that and you're like, wait a second, that doesn't really, I never thought of it that way, right? Talk to me, or talk to Pastor Sean, or to Pastor Dan. Uh, there's three of us, right? Seek one of us out afterwards. Because that's salvation. That's, that's what that means, right? So if you haven't thought about that really, about, wait a second, this means recognizing what I've done wrong, recognizing that Jesus died for me, and then changing my heart, and trying to change my behaviors because of that, have a talk with us, chat with us, because we'd be more than willing to. And that's what it really means, right? Once you've done that, the Bible says do that and then be baptized. Right? And so that's what we should be doing. I'm going to close in prayer, and the worship team is going to come up to, to uh, play a little more worship for us. So, But what I call you to do this week is... Focus on your life. Reassess your life and say, hey, are there areas still in my life that are idols? Are there areas I'm putting before God? Right. The men's, the men's study that we just started yesterday, actually, we're looking at um, how we you know, use the things God's have given, that God has given us. How we use our time, how we use our talents. Right. How, how do we spend the, the things God has given us and how do we reinvest what God has given us in life. And a lot of that has to do with God being the priority. If you're going to, before we do that, you have to be repentant. You have to recognize you've messed up and you have to focus on God and then start thinking about, okay, how does God want me to live my life? How does God want me to spend my time? So focus on that a little bit this week. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this opportunity again to hear your word. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you've opened our hearts and our minds and that something, Lord, that was said today, something from your scripture, um, touches us. Lord, it stays with us this week. Um, it plants a seed that helps us to grow closer to you, Lord. Um, Lord, you, you died to wipe away all that sin. And there are times when we still allow idols and sin in our lives. And Lord, I just ask that you help to point those out to us so that we can get rid of them and then start that process of changing our lives, Lord, and focusing on you and following you so that um, we can trust in you, Lord, and we can live the life that you've planned for us. Um, we love you, Lord, and we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. at River of Life Church or find us online on Facebook, YouTube, or at riveralbany.com.